Hey, Nikki. Hey, Max. Here we are for another episode of Crossing the Threshold. Yeah, and this was a really special one for me because we interviewed Charlotta Martinez, who's an incredible human being committed to like teenagers and youth and mental health. She's the founder of Teen Yoga. I've been privileged enough to train with her. She, we had a really awesome conversation. Um, we explored many, many aspects uh, from kind of yoga being beyond just a practice in the body and she really spoke of it as a philosophy and how it can support young people with you know discovering who they are now and being a map to um knowing where they want to go in the future <laughs> all right well let's get into the conversation yeah and yeah enjoy listeners great let's dive in so um Really excited to have you uh, on our show, Charletta. So welcome to Crossing the Threshold. Oh, it's uh, yeah, a real honour to sit with you. I've had the privilege of um, training with you in Team Yoga. But for, the, um, for our listeners' sake, it would be lovely if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners and um, we'd go from there. Okay, so... Um... Basically, um, I'm half, my mum is Swedish, I'm half Swedish, and that's kind of relevant, I think, to this. I started off um, working as a school teacher. My mum was a school teacher, and she kind of brought me in to help her out um, when, she, when she was sick or when she couldn't teach, and I learned a lot from her. And then I got into yoga and um wanted to teach yoga to young people after a bit of a pause so I went back into school to teach yoga to young people and noticed that there was a massive rise in mental health issues since I because the first time I taught was about late 80s early 90s then I came back late 90s uh, early 2000 and there was a massive jump in issues with young people which I'd never noticed before and I thought, because first I was just like, oh, yoga's fun, let's teach it to young people because I love being around young people. But then I realized, oh my goodness, this is actually something they're going to need. It's not just for fun, it's something they're going to need to build their resilience and to support them because actually it's a completely different world today. And I was really supported in that journey by our local area. The schools really were really receptive to it, even though they were rural Somerset um, schools. Um, and even the, the council were really open to it and Sport England were really supportive. So one by one, I, I got all these different people kind of on board to sort of support me in, in delivery of, of bringing yoga to young people as they realised that it was making a difference. And then soon enough, I, I couldn't, I just didn't have enough hours in the week or the day to deliver the yoga to all the schools who were interested. So we have 15, pe 15 schools in this area. So I started just ad hoc training people up to, to deliver with me. Um, and that's when um, Joe Manuel of Special Yoga found out about what I did and asked me to come and teach the course in London. And she kind of solidified the course a little bit. And so um, what happened there was uh, a really special moment where I'd just been doing what I wanted to do for fun and somebody kind of just saw me and that's never happened in my life before and went oh what you're doing is really important and actually we should promote that and do that more and do it in London where there are more people and that that was a really special moment because it felt like the hand of fate almost just kind of picking me up and going 
no, you're doing the right thing, you know, let's carry on. And, and the universe has got your back, you know, and, and, and it just kind of grew. And then Yoga Campus came on board um, and then they asked me to present it. And then a few, like a few years ago, my partner, my, my lovely partner said to me, well, maybe we should do this online because I was traveling a lot. It grew very quickly. I was in Australia and Africa, in America, in Spain, various other countries. And he said, you know, there's going to come a point where you're not going to be able to go to all these places. And there was a lot of interest from South America. So why don't we do an online version for, for that? So we slowly developed an online course, which came into, uh, it, into being in the beginning of this year, <laughs> weirdly. So in January, we launched our first ever, uh, I think it was January, first ever online course. And then of course, lockdown came and we were like, that was serendipitous too, you know. So it was one of those moments where you, you, you're like, this is totally my dharma. And there's a thing in, in yoga we call dharma, which is like finding your path, just, just stepping back from your life, looking at your life and looking at like, what came easily? Mm. What did universe support? When I put, a, like, put some effort in, when did universe come in and really like help me out with that? And this is all the way along, that's been the case with this course. And I have to say, you know, that for me, it's been a really personal journey because I was the, a single mom for two teenage boys. Um, and it felt, I, many times I was completely at sea with their experience and like how to be a good mum to them. Um, and I, my kind of um, interest in yoga was was also an attempt at finding a parent parenting skills and finding new ways of parenting young men that would support them in their emotional intelligence um, and just to become good people in the world. Um, so just harking, harking back to the first thing I said, I'm, the fact that I'm half Swedish means that I don't necessarily espouse the English way of being, the English way of uh, relating or the English way of bringing up kids or, or English education. I, I like to look at the way the Swedish people have done it in different ways. Um, and I like to look at how we can learn from that. And that, and this is all that has also been part of that, this journey. Like how do I bring in educational tools from Sweden when I work there as a teacher into the English system, um, um, through yoga and how to become a better parent through yoga. So, and then we became a charity. Um, and so uh, my partner then decided like, oh, I think four, four years ago now we should become a charity because there were a lot of people wanting to donate um, and wanting to donate their time. And it just made sense financially for us to have that structure in place. And then we, we were able to apply for grants from the European Union, which we did successfully, um, and various other funding streams. So that's been a really successful um move on our part again completely serendipitous which then brought us into government into the british government where we were able to speak at the house of commons and house of lords about the importance of yoga in schools um, and then my book was published uh, i spent about four years writing this book three years writing this book and eventually it was published um, and then that has also spread the word of what we do and um reached people in lots of different areas and uh, lots of different professional areas, not only school teachers, but also psychiatrists and health professionals. 
so that's that's the, about it um i don't want to go on too long but i think that gives you a picture my my boys are now men they're 20 and 22 um and studying at uni so i'm on my own at home again so yeah <laughs> yeah thanks for sharing that journey and um I mean, I've had the privilege, as I said, of training with you. And the thing I think that I remember being, I found your way so profound because what you represented was you really get teenagers and you care about them. The, the content and the approach that you have in, in teen yoga in the course was so way more than just the practice of yoga. It was really about understanding their brains and their ways and their journey of adolescence. And I must say, I really, really appreciate what, what you are bringing to the world because it was yeah. like so was so missing you know when I walked into these school staff rooms I was shocked to the core like physically shocked by by the approaches that I was coming across by the reactions of these really exhausted teachers I'm not you know in any way denigrating the teaching profession is really hard in the UK but you know the kind of back chat in the staff room about individuals that would go on about teenagers that they were working with you know was just so lacking in understanding and lacking in compassion and the very thing that that young person needed from that teacher was nowhere to be seen which was like I see you I get where you're at I get who you are let's help you out to become the best person you can be none of that was there it was simply about let's how do I get through the day so we can go to the pub, you know, and this, these these kids just doing my nut. Like it was that kind of level of morale. Um, and I I was in despair. I was like, my God, how do how do you expect these kids to thrive when this is what and they almost felt like the back chat in the staff room was didn't matter, you know, but of course it matters. The kids sense all of that. They they sense that they're being judged, continuously being judged not only on their academic merit, but also on their, on their characters and all, you know, across the board. So I, I felt that was something that was a, it was a, it was a sh systemic shift that I wanted to create, like a whole school shift towards caring, really deeply caring and taking our place as elders in their world, you know, saying like the, the, you guys are the future. You guys are the future. You are the ones who are going to shape this world. What can I do? What can I share with you that will be helpful um, for you to become good humans? You know, and I felt that was lacking. That vision was lacking. Um, and I, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I kind of feel like that. That became my my duty almost is to inject that back into the staff room. That sense of solidarity with the young people, right? Really. And, and support and taking your, our seat, taking our seat as elders to mentor young people. Yes, you're right. That's absolutely part of it. Strong part of it, actually. <laughs> well, incredible hearing how the impact you've had with teen yoga and in other work about you know, influencing policy and how, um, how yoga is being ad ad adopted into the schools you've taken it to so, so much. Yeah. And I loved hearing how actually it sounds like it really started from a personal experience of you parenting your teens and seeing how yoga can can support that journey. 
Absolutely. I mean, there were moments, you know, when my boys would come home, I and mean, especially my elder, we had a really great connection, and he would come home and say things like, you know, it, he was just about to start sixth form, I think, and he said, everyone I know is on some kind of medication, whether it's for sleep or anxiety or low mood or schizophrenia, you know, like, whoa, bipolar. Um, and I was like, you're you're flipping 16, you know? And I spoke to uh, a trustee who's a psychiatrist and she's like, you know, those tablets are not licensed for under 18. Not only are they not licensed, we recognize that they create suicidal tendencies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this, this, this kind of horrendous vortex of, of lack of care, really, and lack of, lack of um, responsibility on the part of, the, of adults towards young people. And I just thought there must be another way. And so the yoga that I taught was, I tried to do it in the family, but the boys, it's funny now, they are both studying philosophy, interestingly, specializing in Eastern philosophy. And that was what they took away from it rather than the asana. It was the asana is not of any interest to either of them, but they both meditate and they both do the breathing and they both study the philosophy. So that for them has been a lifeline, you know, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely very personal, very personal. I take, I take, I took every kid that I taught. I, I think at some point I worked out that I taught about 15,000 teenagers that I took each one of them as a personal responsibility, <laughs> you know, because I, I could not, I could not let, let them go, you know, without that sense of we need to care for them. What's your take on why there's so many mental health issues in youth at the moment in society uh, why why are kids take, being told to take so many pills and i think it's a very very complex picture i think it's um the first response you'll get from anybody would be um an exteriorization of our lives so the, the shorthand for that is social media, you know, like, but that's way too simplistic. Yeah. That's, that's not really getting to the root of things. Um, I think, I think our generation has let them down a little bit. I feel like we have not been as present as we could have been for them. Um, and I mean that not only in time, but in quality of time. Like when we're with young people, I think we need to be fully present. and we find that hard you know my generation we were very active in the late 80s and 90s it was a time of huge expansion um you know financially and kind of it was a kind of go-getting time and women would work and men would work and we'd all just go and it was like well you can have it all you know you can do it all and i think I think we got lost along the way in terms of the importance of keeping grounded and keeping connected and keeping like the quality of living, that quality of being a good human was lost in that chase for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that chase for, I think for a lot of women in my generation, we were the first women really who could do anything, you know, we could do anything. You know, most of my friends started off as secretaries and ended up as producers, headmistresses, uh, doctors, you know. 
So there was this massive trajectory of like, yeah, we, this is the generation we can do anything. And so it, and our parents, our mothers particularly were very encouraging of that. Right. So in that excitement of freedom and liberation, I think we lost the importance of the coming together, the quiet connection, the stillness, the slowness of just being with our children and being with our families. Um, yeah, so it's a complicated, it's a complicated answer. I don't think there's a one answer thing, but yeah. I certainly feel that kind of brings me into the COVID thing. You know, I feel like COVID has taught us all to slow the heck down. You know, it's like, just slow down. You cannot leave your city. You cannot leave your home. You cannot leave your family. You have to be there, face it, be with your people, you know, and be present for them. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that after all these years of moving around and going back and forth and watching the TV and being disconnected from each other? How are you going to connect back? And again, also connecting to our earth, you know, connecting to our nature to heal it. Like how that it feels like an invitation to do exactly that. Um, but that's a very big picture, isn't it? I, you probably wanted a simpler answer than that. Well, no, as you were saying, I've never really thought about it in that context, but as you shared that, that makes so much sense. And I think we're living, there's an awareness of the importance now of our well-being as as a society and you know parents picking up on it young people are and so now there's there's maybe we're starting to talk about emotional literacy and looking mm. after our bodies and actually the parent generations that were growing up the teens they they didn't have that either something really struck me in a talk I listened into last week where I was a bit like how have I not thought of this too and I think mm. it's quite relevant feels relevant to bring in is the uh, talking about mental health and it's like why are we here in such a dire situation and it was mentioned of like that we are schooled has just completely disembodied our children that they can't go to the toilet when they want they can't sleep or rest when they want they can't eat when they want they can't play or move when they want Absolutely. You know, I, I sit in a room with young people that all have AD, you know, ADHD <laughs> And they, they need to move. I, I end up running around laps in, in the hall if I need to with them because they just need to move, they need mm. to shake it out. And therefore they're so disconnected from their bodies that mm. of course, and so I just, I'd love to hear your take on that given yoga. Oh, oh this is, is in I, the body. Yeah, <laughs> this is really good. This is really, really important. And there's a disconnection is a, is a minor trauma response from not being grounded. Mm. You know, if, if, you, if you're ever in a country or a culture, which is why I love going to Africa, actually, they're, in general, the culture that I've come across and the, the, the communities that I've taught there um, have a, a very uh, grounded um, like lifestyle. You know, people walk most of the time. They, they, they're pe people that I've been teaching. They often um, grow their own vegetables. They don't really, they don't really travel very far. They live where they live and they don't go any further. Their families are all 
that there is, you know, and you you deal with shit that's going on in your family. You don't just leave. You you stay with it. You go through it. You you build resilience in on the emotional level, and there is not that disconnect. That disconnect does not happen then. Um, the disconnect happens when right at the centre of your our lives, we're not able to be still with what is. Like if if our entire family is spending you know, their evenings watching different Netflix videos or, or, you know, each on their phones or eating at different times or one, you know, each in their different rooms. There's a lot that's not being said. There's a lot that's not being talked through. There's a lot, lot that's not being lived. Um, and what yoga does, it brings us back to our bodies because disassociation is a trauma response mm-hmm. and bringing us into our physical body helps us work through that trauma and that's what's so that's what's so cool about it is it's not a it's an immediate release but it's also a long-term release because the more we do this more that we come back to our bodies the more we're able to be with what is and the more we're able to move through our lives letting go of what's been before and that's something which i think we you know i've seen i've experienced it so many times and my students keep coming with these stories of young people coming into the room, being very distracted, moving all their ADHD, like you say, that kind of ADHD behavior. Um, and then having done the yoga, maybe breaking down, maybe starting to cry, maybe then disclosing, you know, and it could be minor stuff. It could be, you know, my, my, ferret died or you know my mum's sick so she can't pick me up today and I don't know who's picking me up or um I had one guy who's just all over the place in the room we started to do some yoga and then he started to just cry and I said what's going on and he, he we were a very solid group and he just shared openly so my mum went to hospital last week and nobody's told me what's wrong with her and I don't know you know when she's coming back and just those little little things that wouldn't come out in a classroom because there's 30 kids and you've got a task to do. But in a yoga class, because you're starting to move the body, they come up. We've all feel, anyone who's done yoga feels this, you know, the beginning of yoga, there's a lot, most people have some kind of release. You don't even know what it is. You just think, what the hell was that about? I was feeling happy and now I'm crying and now I'm feeling happy again. What was that? And it's, the body is releasing emotions um, and it's, it's taking you through uh, from a disconnected place to a connected place. Um, so yeah, I think disembodiment happens when we're not connected to ourselves or our families or our or our situation. Mm-hmm. And then and then the yoga brings us back and brings us able with the breath and with kindness and with creating safe space for young people. We're able to come back to a place of acceptance. Like okay this is really shit, but I can sit with this and, and I'll, I'll become stronger because of it. And that's how, how yoga builds resilience because the person who's holding the space has become trained in, in creating safe space and holding discomfort. Um, and that's for starts with physical discomfort. So doing a posture that's a little bit uncomfortable and that moves through into breath discomfort and then mental discomfort and emotional discomfort. And they all translate through very quickly, like one after the other, boom, 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 boom. And the body is always an, 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 a kind of reflection of our emotional um, 
state, you know. So um, we can use the body as a tool to move through an emotional state. Yeah, and getting... that's why it becomes so powerful because it doesn't build, you're not getting this kind of built building up of tension, you know, that, that causes mental health problems, but you're breaking it down each time you're coming to yoga, you're releasing. Mm. Mm. I enjoyed learning recently that the expression to shake it, I mean, you probably know this, but the expression to shake it off comes from ah, yeah. how uh, animals, when they've been put into their flight mode and their sympathetic nervous systems have been activated, they quite literally shake their bodies to shake yeah. it off. To shake uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the cortisol. So when the cortisol builds up, yeah. we need to move the bodies to release the cortisol. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of uh, SEN, so a lot of special educational need kids, um, also, uh, not, not all of them by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's interesting to look at, see if the, how much um, adverse childhood experience there is in SEN, you know, and what the link is there, um, like unresolved trauma. Um, and similarly, uh, the spectrum, kids on the spectrum, is that also around uh, unresolved trauma from an early age? That's often something I've thought about and, and considered because we know actually from a lot of medical, this is a fascinating thing which I learned quite a few years ago when I was working in the NHS as a yoga therapist for people who've been sectioned for, for, for either suicidal ideation or, or uh, violence towards others. There is a sudden depression at the age at middle age so like mid 30s mid 40s i looked into this or um fibromyalgia or schizophrenia sometimes it's related to an unresolved trauma pre-17 yeah. so it's like and so something has happened in your life um and it's not and you've just built a carapace around it and they kind of pushed it away and not not dealt with it and this resolves in a midlife crisis a mid or depression or some other physical uh, uh, issue and this has been well documented now we know the impact of adverse childhood experience on the physical body uh, later on in life so to think that there might be an, a modality an intervention that could soften the impact of trauma at an early age has a massive long-term impact, not only on mental health, but as an adult, but also on criminality, antisocial behavior, um, and you know, family kind of cohesion, or just pro-social behavior in general. Um, so there's a, there's a kind of logic model here, isn't there? If, if trauma sits in the body, you know, Bessel van der Kolk has written a beautiful book about this, and we can access trauma through the body as and when it's happening, then it's not going to build up and create issues further down the line, you know, for society and for that individual. It's like looking at it as it arises and letting the, the trauma and energy to the sort of a flushing of the system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I know that, you know, here we are now, I mean, part of me wants to be like, you know, what's it like, you know, can you paint a picture of what yoga looks like in schools, which I'm kind of curious to know, but then I'm also like, we're in a different time right now because mm -hmm. we're living in a pandemic and something in, in 
in yoga is you know well there's a lot on choice in a way and and uh, has different kind of viewpoints and how um we look at the world as a whole and also as an individual in, in uni and so I, I guess i'm really interested to know what you're seeing around your work now in this pandemic like how is the work of yoga supporting young people or and and also in that what are you seeing there what's going on for them mm, mm. Hmm. right big question so what's going on for young people during the pandemic um well unfortunately we know that there's been a very sharp rise in depression and anxiety particularly among girls um and that statistic is always skewed because the boys just don't tell people about it. So um, that we see it in the girls, but it, we, we realize it's happening in the boys as well. And that's particularly happening, I imagine, and I have some data to back this up, in areas, in families and situations where they're uh, at risk. So whether it's, it's a difficult family or a difficult situation, um, then that will definitely be on the rise. On the other hand i also know that there's quite a few young people who've relished this pause you know if they're if they're in a relatively comfortable situation in their home or wherever they find themselves it has been a pause for quite a few people where suddenly this never-ending stream of judgments and demands has stopped you got your GCSEs, you didn't have to sit them, you got them. You, you got your A-levels, you didn't have to go through that stressful phase. You're just in university, you know, that it just happened. And I think for a lot of people, that was a very healthy moment. It was like, wow, I don't actually have to join that kind of hamster wheel of effort to move through my life. I can just, do what I enjoy, relax, take it at my pace, the pace I need for me, for my mental health, for my body. And they really tasted that. Yeah. So I know several young people who are like, I know what it's like now to work at my pace and how that works for me. And I'm going to hold on to that. And they, they, it feels like they, they feel a bit empowered by that actually. And they've learned like, Oh, this is my pace. They filled into it. This is my pace. This is what I'm really interested in because that's what I spent lockdown doing. Right. You were suddenly given this kind of three months to do what you like. Right. So I know, I, I know one young person I'm thinking of who wrote a whole album of music and produced it by himself in his bedroom. That's what he did. A really high performing academic kid, you know, skipped all the, stopped all the maths, all the physics, everything he was doing and just wrote music. He was like, wow, I had no idea I was that interested in music. <laughs> and another kid who got into cycling, he started cycling really, really long distances, like, you know, 50 miles, you know, and just like, whoa, I love biking, but I'd never had the time to do this before. And so stuff that's not considered, that's not necessarily encouraged or measured, um, and others who really got involved, you know, in helping the community, like helping the elderly or helping um, supporting. So, so there's been lots of upsides um, in the best in the best cases, but there's also been an absolute living hell for those who already had a difficult time and who for whom 
for whom school was a solace. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Um, and, and I mean, that's a large, that's a large group, unfortunately, of our British population is that young people who come to school for solace. Yeah. Not only psychological solace, but also for food and nourishment. And for them, it was, it was living hell. Um, well, is, just kind of going back to that previous point you mentioned about how youth had to relearn how to work at their own pace or how to find their own motivation to work in their own way. It's bonkers that we have an education system that has trained them out of that natural understanding of that natural intuition of how they yeah. are in the world and what's their way of navigating. Exactly. Like, it wouldn't that be the biggest gift of all to give any young person is to find like, what do you love? You know, what is your heart's desire? What are you burning for? Like, what do you? Where would you like to spend your time? You know, wh whether it's in a cat shelter or whether it's cycling down the lane, it doesn't matter. Just find what your bliss is, and then you'll. In it's Nietzsche, isn't it? Find the. Uh, a where a how to live and then you'll find and find a why to live and then you'll find a how to live you yeah. know? So if you've got you've got you, you tap into your dharma you know find your dharma this is the time to find your dharma and then find your rhythm and then have the people around you the adults the elders support you in that mm. it's it's a completely weirdly but it's completely different vision from how we perceive young people today and it shouldn't be a different region because it's so obvious. Yeah. I just, on that, I, I, what's been amazing is I've been asking a lot of the students I go to school, you know, what's been your learning from lockdown? And some of them, unfortunately, didn't feel like they used their time and it was kind of like they're still working themselves out. But the best has been, like, I found out who I was. Like, I've self-discovered mm -hmm. because I haven't been in this place that doesn't allow me to... So the irony is... You know, when they're not being in, in that place, um, they've actually learned, for some of them, they've learned who they are. Um, what they love, what they dislike, the rhythm that they like, you know, what's healthy for them, um, what, they, what they can discard, what they can let go of. Um, yeah, I think that, 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 that's definitely something that we've been trying to promote in our yoga classes to them as well, is that to kind of use that pause for checking in you know mm. sorry I was, uh, I'd love to use that to segue on to the um, policy work that you've been doing to you know with, um, we're all in recognition of the failings of our education system and uh, it's really awesome to hear how you are really working not just on a delivery level but also on you know to yeah, sure. systems we do also have to work at the policy le level mm. and yeah and it, it, it's been a very um again encouraging journey surprisingly encouraging journey you know i every time i turned a corner to speak to a politician i'd be thinking here we go you know someone is just gonna fob me off and every single person i've spoken to would open their eyes and cock their head and kind of go that's really interesting whether it's hard line right wing jacob reese mogg is my mp <laughs> not only that but one of our um patrons sir anthony selden who um is hugely knowledgeable about this and is also a yoga teacher um politician and head of uh, a university um agreed to come and talk to all the mps for six hours 
so it's that kind of like flow where you're thinking, well, okay, so we've got the backup of three completely different parties and a person who they all respect to come and deliver what we do. So what we do must be important. It's not just a flash in the pan. It must be something that people look at and think that is a solution. That's a quick and easy solution because it is because any individual you bring into the, to the school for mental health issues predominantly is going to be one-to-one. If you have a counselor or therapist, it's going to be one-to-one. So you're paying one person to be with one person for one hour. As a yoga teacher, you're going to pay them to teach 15 kids and it's a, it's preventative and therapeutic. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's having issues, you can deal with them. But if they're not having issues, you can prevent them, yeah. you know, but by teaching, by teaching about mental health and teaching how to support your mental health. So yeah, that's been really, really powerful. Um, it's a slow burn, you know, and I've realized that actually the grassroots work we do is way more effective than any, um, lobbying parliament the problem is it that it needs to happen as well but the grassroots stuff is is so much more effective schools are just voting with their feet we, we know 30 percent of schools are currently um teaching yoga in some capacity in the uk and that they're just doing it you know because they have that freedom they can choose to do that so that's that's where that's the biggest change is happening there where the yeah, teachers themselves you mentioned before it's such a tool for kind of the listening within and resilience and actually it's got a double whammy effect that's positive because it's actually giving young people a tool that they can do yoga whenever they want they don't need to wait for the class once it's kind of in their body and it's learned it does become a practice that they can Mm. use for the rest of their lives Mm. and you know do with their families Mm. and yeah. practice the kind of way of being of yoga as well as like okay now it's my class so well segue on to the from from that you know we we we've when we had the finances from the european union we didn't have a lot but we had enough to create a prototype of an app which supports young people's yoga practice at home nice. and what it does is it links the yoga teacher with the young person uh, through the app where the yoga teacher gives them suggested uh, sequences, which is, can only be anything from two minutes to an hour and a half, depending on uh, the time they have. And it, it gives them sequences specific to that particular individual. So it, morning time, pre-exam, um, evening, summertime, 14 year old, you know, so each sequence is very much like kind of designed for that particular individual. So that's something we're super excited about. And that's something we feel would really support the yoga teachers. It's not designed to be used by itself. It's designed to be with, you know, a human like connection through the app. And I think that's an important part of it. But we are looking, we're looking for funding for that now to, to bring it to the next stage. So if any of the listeners are interested in getting involved and that's a really exciting uh, project, which, you know, the infrastructure is all correct. The prototype is ready. Um, and we have 1300 um, graduates who are ready to use it. So it's all kind of ready to be used. We just need that final uh, financial injection. And we don't ask for money very often, but this is one of those moments where we think that the impact could be very, very far reaching if, if, if we got the support for that. So that's um, a little plug from me there. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, got our fingers crossed yeah. very tightly for you on that. Thanks, Max. Yeah. I think one of the things I'm finding really inspiring about this conversation is 
um, one of many things, but how you speak to yoga as a philosophy and not just an embodiment practice. And, you know, how, you know, for you, that's, you know, it's an obvious thing, but, you know, in the, the modernization of yoga in the Western world, it's become very much, a, you know, one strand of it has become quite exercise focused and, yes. um, and in a way, sometimes performative almost. Yeah. Um, and it's taken us years and years and years and years to blast that misconception. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I'm, I'm really appreciating is hearing is how the yoga, and it sounds like even just in your, in your how your teenage boys have carried, carried the philosophy mm. forward, mm. speaks to how much of a, a way of life it is and, and a philosophy and a mindset and an approach mm. rather, rather than just, just being an embodiment practice. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something, you know, we, we use something which um, yoga teachers are familiar with, but um, the general listener probably isn't, which is called the eight limbs of yoga. And the eight limbs is a kind of, is a step-by-step, um, step-by-step kind of tool whereby you, you do the first step first, and then you go and move on to the second and the third. And, and the steps are, you know, the first steps are actually, um, a kind of social and moral awareness like what is what is it to be content you know how can I be more loving towards myself and others um, various things like that and then the next step is the physical practice and then it's the breathing practice and then it's the the, the mind you know positive thinking how do I create positive thinking in my head so for, I teach the teachers to kind of step by step go through these eight limbs with the kids uh, according to um, the kids' kind of um, uh, maturity level or um, acceptability towards it, you know. And again, this is a, this is also a great tool for us to kind of capture if there is um, if there are any vulnerable young people in the group because we can see that, for example, in the first step of of just what are you what what's going on in your head, you know. Already here, we can capture oh, this, there's something going on for this child. We need to help, help this child, you know. And in physical practice, you can see, like, we, like uh, Nikki was just saying there, you know, if, you, if a child has a lot going on in their head, physically, they're going to be all over the place. You know, if they're calm and peaceful and at ease with themselves mentally, they find it easy to sit still. So we use it as a, as a process of, of elimination in terms of wellness as well. And if you, you, if you can be still with yourself, if you can do these postures, then we can move on to the breathing technique. And this is what makes it a really flexible tool and a very um, comprehensive tool that can be used in very different, different scenarios. Yeah, and the philosophy of Jaeger is often around kind of what's the opportunity in this. And I'd love to know in in that yoga philosophy your take on the opportunity that we are at present with our young people i think i'm going to kind of summarize a lot of what we've spoken about in response to that question i think the opportunity is to come home to ourselves individual as individuals um and that means like checking in like what do i actually need to be well having that autonomy um is really exciting you know, it's like, oh, I have the autonomy to be well. I can say, you know, that I need rest. I can say that I need to eat different foods. I can say that I need to move my body now. I can say it's up to me. It's up to me. That's very exciting. So it's an opportunity for us to come home to ourselves, to be gentle with ourselves, 
um, and to reevaluate what's really important. You know, this is a time I know for a lot of people of like what's happening with the job market, what's happening with finances, you know, there's a lot of insecurities out there. The exteriorization we started talking about in the beginning of the talk, like looking outwards for validation, for success, that's not going to work because there's nothing out there right now. We need to go in and find our peace inside and we need to just be still with ourselves and find out what it is to be well for ourselves. And that is where our treasure lies. You know, that is where when each individual is given permission and given the tools to do that, the whole fabric of society starts to shift and change. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was like thinking, you know, the beginning you said, you know, how your journey's actually been so easy and mm. you really are someone who's you're, you're living your why you're so down to your truth and mm. you've taken the time to find out what that is mm. and so I think for a lot of young people just your story is an inspiration for them it's like if you're living your why that they'll be a, as long as you find your why they'll be the how and That's definitely definitely they will um <laughs> yeah and you'll just be a much more pleasant person to be around because you'll be enjoying <laughs> every moment you you're like I'm doing what I love. What you know? So <laughs> there's something about following the flow and the e you know following that flow and ease is yeah. it's quite radical actually. An idea in the world that we live in where yeah. you're there's so much pressure to fight these systems to like really like knuckle down and conform to kind of jumping through the hoops. So life is hard, you know. This concept yeah. of life is hard. Yeah. Well, what if it isn't? What if it's just about following your bliss and, and sitting with yourself and being gentle with yourself and seeing what arises and seeing what comes and following that, mm. you know, and just having less expectations maybe around a perfection, you know, physical perfection, perfection of relationships, perfection of our homes, just having those, those exterior expectations drop mm. and start to just look inside because when we do that then there is there's a, a peace comes with that a peace comes with that yeah mm. coming home to ourselves it's a lovely idea and we're all the ramdas has this wonderful thing you know we're all just walking each other home you know we're all just walking each other home we all want bliss we all want peace we all want to be content mm. and if we can truly truly see that everyone we meet, everything that happens is actually just part of that puzzle taking us to that place, then we welcome any experience, you know? And this is all part of yoga philosophy. But the, the it, yeah, <laughs> positive, it's very positive. It's a very positive thinking module, you know, modality actually. And it's much more about sensing and being and, yeah. um, rather than doing that rather than doing and knowing and exactly you know, that is, that's a very they're different forms of intelligences that completely are different forms of intelligence and that's where the emotional intelligence comes into yeah. you know is that um one researcher called it a conference i was speaking at it's called embodied literacy Mm. They're becoming literate through your body, you know, embodied literacy. I thought that was beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah.
I like that. Yeah. Thank well, you. Well, it's been so nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely made me remember the power of, yeah, uh, taking what I learned on your course and taking it into schools. And honestly, listeners out there, if you have an interest in holding powerful spaces with young people, go and do the teen yoga course. It was it's still to date one of the best courses and I go back to your material regularly um wow. I'm really grateful for for yeah what you do in the world and I'm so happy to hear it's growing and flourishing and the world's going yes <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Nikki thank you so much Max it's been really beautiful to just kind of talk around this and explore it with you guys and some really really cool questions really good questions so yeah if anybody wants to get in touch with me i'm really open i love speaking to people so drop me a line info at teenyoga.com and thank you as always to nick and green barge audio for producing and editing this podcast mm-hmm.